Did you do that? Good. Last Sunday, I spoke to you about the return of the Lord Jesus uh, and taught you about this generation, that we desperately need to reach this generation. We're in a series called All In, focusing on a scripture in Acts 2.39. It's a promise, and the promise comes from the prophet Joel. It's restated by uh, Peter in this first sermon after the resurrection of our Lord and then during the Feast of Pentecost when Holy Spirit comes. And then they move in power, and this word is the word that's shared. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Let's say that again. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now that promise is connected to more scriptures because it's Acts 2, 38, 39, where Peter says, Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now listen, listen. When I read that to you and I say your children, some of you say, well, you don't know my children. How many know sometimes there can be problems in a family? Does anybody know that? Difficulty in a family. People get fractured and, and there is struggle. We have been working and believing that God's promise is not just for those who have no problems. Somebody thank God. It's not just for people who have no problems. It's not just for people who had it all, have it all right. It's, it's not just for people who are, who are young and just came to the Lord and having babies and you're just doing... No, it's for the rest of us. Somebody shout amen. It's for everyone in the house. These people were broken. These people were struggled. In fact, they were in such struggle that the Bible says that they were cut to the heart. And they said, what shall we do? And then he gives some, some thoughts. Repent. Be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus. Today we've we baptized. Uh, we have dedicated children. Uh, we, have, we have worshipped the Lord. I want us to continue in this frame as I teach you from the, the thought, a hopeful generation. Uh, how many know there is hope for the generation? Anybody believe there's hope for the generation? Sometimes you look and you feel hopeless. Uh, but I believe that there is hope for the generation portion of the scripture of Matthew chapter 21 appears on the slide. It says, but when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, that particular statement, that's what was going on. The Bible says the chief priests and the scribes were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Now, if you know the context of this particular day, there is great tradition in it, but the context of it is the Feast of the Passover as it begins, as people begin to arrive at the Feast of the Passover. Uh, this scripture is often overlooked. Uh, I, I believe this, this celebration is often overlooked, not by us. We're here, praise God. But it is as we walk towards, towards the celebration of the resurrection. Uh, this day is... Four days away uh, from Good Friday. It is getting close to the day of crucifixion. And there are things that take place that are important for us to remember. Uh, there's so much going on. I had you wave your palms earlier, okay? So uh, I also noticed as I was in Home Depot this week that palms are on sale. I don't know if they're on sale. It's probably, they're just for sale. But... Uh, uh, I saw them in grocery stores, so maybe you want to go and buy one, cut it all up and wave it around the yard later this afternoon or something, whatever you choose to do. But Palm branches were symbolic of, of someone who is great, who is coming in, specifically a king. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem as others are coming into Jerusalem. But Jesus comes, there is a donkey that had been prepared for him supernaturally, if you read this teaching. And Jesus gets on it and he rides the donkey into the city. As he's coming into the city, his disciples, others, are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, this interests me already, just so you know more context of what's going on, because 
uh, as Jesus is coming into the city, first of all, he's riding on a donkey, not on a horse. How many know one day he is going to be riding on a horse? All right, but he's riding a donkey. This is symbolic of peace, that he is coming to bring peace. And Jesus is our peace. Is he not? Jesus is our peace. Jesus goes to the cross and he's going to die on the cross. He becomes our peace. He satisfies all that is necessary in order for us to be redeemed. He is our peace. But also, when we see this, just the day that he is coming in, because it is fascinating that it deals with the Passover. So if you go back to the Passover and you understand the concept of Passover, you can look in Exodus chapter 12 and hear the words of the Lord speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of the month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or, or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the, the same month. Then the whole congregation, then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So does anybody see any comparisons here? So on the triumphant, on the day that Jesus came, it was the same day that everyone was supposed to be coming in for the Passover celebration. Uh, the Passover celebration goes all the way back to the Passover of Israel. If you know the story of the, of the bondage of Israel in Egypt, then you know that that final plague was the death. And so what happened is everyone took a lamb. They took a lamb into their house. They killed it. They took the blood. They put it over the doorpost. And the Bible says as death passed over, all of those who had blood over their doorposts because they not only had killed the lamb as a sacrifice, but they consumed the lamb as well. They ate the lamb. They were prepared to be set free from bondage. And so as death passed over, the firstborn of every family died except for those who had uh, the blood over their home. So how many believe we need to have the blood of the lamb over our house? And so this continues, and, and this, this is a part of the worship. It is, it is the worship of Israel, that they continued every year to celebrate Passover. But I, but I think that there is great spiritual truth here. How many believe every household needs the Lamb of God? Yes. And how many believe parents are responsible to make sure that Jesus is in their house? Yes. Do you believe that? Yes. So, I mean, that is certainly deep and symbolic. You might say, well, you know, I want my kids just to believe whatever they want to believe. You need to get over yourself. Just because it's uncomfortable, I don't want to go to church on Sunday. You need to get up, rise up, bring your children, right? They need to know the Word of God, but not just here. Don't transfer all the responsibility here. You're supposed to bring the lamb into your house, right? However, uh, we see Israel has come for the Passover, and the triumphant entry of Jesus is also... Also, very clearly, the same thing that is happening that we see in Exodus. Because as Jesus is coming in, when is he coming in? He's coming in on that 10th day. He's coming in four days before everyone. And there are other people that are carrying lambs in. It's not going to do them a lot of good because by the time they get to the temple, uh, there will be buyers and sellers that are there. And they will declare all of theirs as unclean so they can sell them a fresh one, you know. Because there has been a toxicity that had entered during that particular time as the Roman occupation of Israel was severe. So as, as, as that is severe, we know that the high priest, we know that religious leaders of that day, we know historically that one of the things that had happened as Rome had brought uh, their, their culture and their desire for riches, they had brought that and, and they had placed individuals in religious leadership that they could control. And so uh, we know that it's a difficult time. However, it is still the time of Passover. So Jesus comes in riding on a donkey. There are people that are throwing palm branches at the feet of the donkey. They are shouting, Hosanna, meaning God saves us. The Lord who saves. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the son of David. They are saying that Jesus, and this is true, that Jesus is of the house and the line of David. And so we see Jesus as he's coming there. Other people, they have lambs. They're going to go to the temple. And four days later, what we call Good Friday, they are going to kill this Jesus. They are going to kill their lambs, but Jesus is also going to die. So what are we seeing here? What we're seeing is, is unbeknownst to them, they were literally selecting 
the Paschal Lamb. So as they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he, they accept him as their king, and then they take him, and they slay him, and he becomes the final Passover Lamb. John, the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, in John chapter 1, verse 21, when he saw Jesus, Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How many know he's the king, but he's also the Lamb? Does anybody understand this? But I'm still captivated by this moment as I speak to you today because today I want to bring hope to this generation today. How many love babies? Anybody love the children? Because the Bible says in Matthew 21 and 16, and, and, and this story is recorded in all of the Gospels, but the, 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 the point being that the children are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. And they are so into this, they're so excited about it, that even when everybody else has stopped, they're still shouting. Because for some of them, it's a moment, it's okay, but then it seems like something has gotten a hold of the children. How many know sometimes you just can't get your kids to be quiet? How many know that's true? So that's what's going on here. And, and I love this. I, I love the children. I love what's going on. But then the, the religious leaders say, we need to keep the kids quiet. And, and I know that there is a reason that they're saying that because of their position. That their position is that he is not Messiah. He is not Yeshua. He is not who people are saying that he is. They do not want him to be elevated. They, they are against this. But also there's this other issue. Because of the conflict, how many know that Roman knew that there, Rome knew that there was no king but Caesar, right? So let's protect the kids. We don't want the kids talking about Jesus because if they do, they could cause some problems in the city. Am I preaching to anybody right now? Anybody ever looked around the restaurant and thought, no, 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 don't be saying that right now. And you're looking around to see if somebody heard what your children had to say because what your children might have said might have been, I don't know, somewhat derogatory to people that are sitting in the next booth. And you don't want them to say anything that would upset the culture as it is. You certainly don't want them talking about things which are uh, ungodly or things that are unrighteous. You, I mean, after you've taught all of this Jesus, all of this righteousness, after you've baptized them, after you've dedicated them, don't you also want them to rise up and declare openly that Jesus is the way to heaven? I think so. And the hope has been in their ancestry. It was there. They've always been talking about Messiah. They've always been talking about another king from the line of David. And these, these children had, had had some impact. How many have ever experienced miracle in your life? Anybody? Yeah. Anybody? Like, I've told you many times about the miracle that I had as a child. Oh, here I go again. Uh, I was burned severely as a boy on the right side of my face. I had third degree burns from here all the way down through my neck. And they were waiting to grab skin. And uh, they, that's what the surgery was going to be. But my family prayed. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed for five days. On the fifth day, the burn fell off of my face, and I'm the beautiful man that I happen to be today. So, so says my wife. All right? Now, does that affect you? Does it affect you? No, it doesn't. No, not that I'm beautiful. No, I mean, do you like the story? Anybody like the story? Okay. Right. Are you, could, could you retell that story sometime? Could you retell it? Why? Because you heard it. How many believe it? Yeah, okay, all right, because I, I was so young when it happened uh, that I, I thank the Lord. I believe I had some, some other issues uh, that took place because just the violence of it, but I believe the Lord was healing me completely. How many thank God for that? Just totally healing my life. And I've told the story. My mother, she used to bring me up front, and she'd stand me in front of the congregation, and she would play with my button and tell the story about how that God had healed her baby and how that, oh, Jesus, how that, how that she remembers falling down the stairs with me in her arms and just wiping the burns, trying to wipe the burns off my face, but they wouldn't go away. But it was her story, and it's deep in my heart. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus had healed the blind. He had healed the lame. He had fed the multitudes with just a few pieces of bread. He had fed over 5,000 people on more than one occasion. Jesus also had raised the dead. That Lazarus thing must have been getting around. He had, been, he had been here before and people were whole. 
Do you think these children knew the stories? How many think they knew the stories about Jesus, about his power? How that he spoke with authority because many of them had heard because Jesus had been all around Galilee. He had even walked through Samaria. And in all of this, people were being set free and it kind of gets momentum. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's one thing if one story happened, but if you're healed and you're healed and you're healed and she's healed, my uncle was healed and my cousin was healed and the person down the street got changed. If people were being set free and, and, and light was coming... And then finally, Jesus is showing up. Hey, we're going to be in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Hosanna. Blessed is he. I'm going to get some of what everybody else got. So it's kind of exciting, isn't it? I mean, he's more than a superstar, but he's a superstar. Amen? So uh, I'm, I'm telling you this because I want to infuse you with hope. But not hope that allows you to continue to live in shame. Does that make sense to anyone? I, I want to infuse you with it. And it, the, the scripture had really jumped. It was in my heart, but it just jumped at me this week. I was at Walmart. I was at Walmart. And uh, when I was at Walmart, uh, Diana and I were trying to get out of the parking place. And somebody with a giant SUV or something was on one side of me because I drive a little car and everybody else drives giant cars. So, so I'm trying to back out and people just keep zooming by. And I, Jesus, help me get out of this parking place, you know. And eventually I worked it out and get out and I pulled behind another vehicle and it just jumped on me. I spoke to Diana because on the vehicle in front of me, it just had the words future and a hope on, on a window decal. And the, on, the, on their back uh, window of this SUV that was driving away. And I thought, wow, I love that. How many love Jeremiah 29 11? Anybody love Jeremiah 29 11? Read it with me. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. How many love that Bible verse? Anybody? I love that. We've held on to that. I, say, say it again. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. I, and I was thinking about that. And, and, I, and I've seen it on t-shirts. I've seen it on cars. I preached about it before. How many love that? Again, how many love Jeremiah 29 11? Anybody love that? Now, how many have read Jeremiah? Listen, if you're depressed, don't read Jeremiah. Skip it. Go to the Gospel of John. Pick a few select Psalms, but not Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of those books that, you know, anybody, any, any old people in this room that remember Hee Haw? Anybody remember that? Come on, where are, where are the old people in Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. That sort of sums up. Okay, if you don't know, I'm, the sermon's for the people that didn't know that. Listen, if, if, if you did not know what the... What a good synopsis of Jeremiah is. That's what it is. It's gloom. It's despair. It's things getting worse and then getting worse. They're in exile. Israel's in exile to Babylon. Life is difficult. They are, their families are fragmented. Their fam portions of the family have been taken away from Jerusalem and others are left. Uh, Jerusalem is in, in destruction. Things just keep getting worse. They're in exile, but not in exile for year, year after year after year. After year, come on, say it with me, year after year after year. Stop, 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 because some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because some of your life situations have been year after year after year. How many would like to see some change? Anybody would like to see some change? So when I, when I tell you this, you can relate. But in all of this, I mean, they hated Jeremiah because Jeremiah would tell them the truth. How many know it's not very popular to be a preacher and tell the truth? Does everybody understand that? It is not popular. I was preparing this message and I thought, I really want people to come Easter Sunday. But if I preach this, I'm wondering if people will come back. Because out of all of the brokenness that they had, this one scripture appears. Just so you know, I know you're going through it, but I'm still thinking about you. You're on my mind. And let me tell you, what my thoughts are, are of peace and not of evil. I want to give you a future and a hope. Now, for me, I want you to know that that future and hope, certainly we see 
an Israel that gets to return. Somebody praise God for that. But I also want you to know that the greatest hope that you can ever have is in the redemption that we receive through the cross of Jesus Christ. Through the death of the Paschal Lamb. Through the death of the Passover Lamb. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the whole world. Again, I want to speak the truth to you in saying this. I want, to, I want to talk to you about hope for the next few minutes. But I was looking at the scripture. Everybody say hope. hope. And I, I did a, a brief word study on it. And I came to realize that the word hope is also translated as cord. Isn't that interesting? Uh, let's see. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a cord. Cord. Not like music cord. <laughs> not that. Cord, like rope cord. Like a rope. Got a rope? Thank you. Bill got me the rope. A rope. Anybody ever needed a rope? Anybody ever needed one? So here's what's going on. All right, so let's just say, Ed, that you have been through some stuff in your life. Go ahead, stand up. Some difficulty in your life. Some pain, some hardship, some rejection. You felt exiled and alone before. So really all of the above? But somebody at one time told you about redemption. And there are other people saying, you know, with all the mess you've been in year after year after year, I do not know why you keep believing in God. I don't know why you keep saying that Jesus is alive, that God cares for you. Did you see what happened yesterday? That just proves that you are not on God's mind. He doesn't care about you. But for some reason, hold on both hands, you just will not let go of the cord and he just keeps pulling you through it how many have ever been pulled through by your hope I don't know I don't know what tomorrow holds but I'm going to hold on I'm going to hold on to Jesus come on I'm not letting go of my faith I know people have said you're no good and people have said that you're worthless people have said that your life doesn't matter people have said you're just confused you're just demented to believe in all that cross of Jesus and blood of Jesus stuff you just under need to understand you've only got one life so you might as well eat drink and just have a good time party till you die brother stop believing I can't believe I'm preaching that to you right now but <laughs> but you got to hold of a rope, right? How many know that your hope is your, is your rope? Anybody know that? How many have only got through some stuff because of hope? Anybody? Not, just because, not hope just in everybody else. How many know some people will fail you, even people that you love, but you keep holding on to Jesus? How many know that you have failed some people? Where are you? Anybody? I have failed some people, but Jesus has never failed me. It's, but there's more to it than that. I was, I was reading that hope is a cord, and my, my thought went to Ecclesiastes. Somebody shout, hope is a rope. Hope is a rope. And I, I was looking at Ecclesiastes verse 4 and verse uh, 12. And I've done this at weddings before. Anybody done this at a wedding before? Where Hang on to that. Don't go away yet, Ed. Here, just hand me that. Thanks. Thanks. Let's hear it for my lovely assistant, Elsie. Okay. <laughs> All right, and we've done this before. It's good for you to have a hold of Jesus. Come here, shake. And it's good for you to have a hold of Jesus. Individually, you have to have a hold of Jesus. Because when you have a hold of Jesus, and you have a hold of Jesus, mm, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then you take those three strands. How many know that I have preached about spiritual intimacy until I'm nearly blue in the face? Anybody know I've. I told you, you gotta, both of you need to seek the word of God, the knowledge of God. Because sometimes the world can test your individual faith. But when you are loving Jesus and you're loving Jesus and you're loving Jesus together, come on, when that's going on and the storms of this life come, a cord of three strands, you loving each other, you both loving Jesus, Jesus loving you. You see, hope is a covenant. It's a covenant. That's why we say hope is a cord. Somebody shout covenant. covenant. 
He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will always be there for you. No matter, come on, no matter what you're going through, somebody shout, he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Hope is a rope, a really thick rope that cannot be broken. Somebody praise God. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Okay. All right. We're there. Are we all there? Are we on the same page? I, I know that the world, the culture that we live in is dark. Can I get just a nod of your head if you believe that? It's dark. The Bible says that when Jesus came, that in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. I often talk to you about your family your friends and your neighbors, and I'm trying to bring hope to this generation, but you ever looked at somebody who lived across the street and went, mm. <laughs> Anybody ever done that? Ooh. Oh, it's them. Wow. You ever done that? Like, this, that's a hopeless case. Pastor, I was going to invite my neighbor to church, but you don't know my neighbor. Right? Hopeless. That, just that... that feeling of hopelessness and, and I get that because there are some been people that you have approached over right and over and over you've been good you've been loving you've been forgiving you're like you're on your last forgiving nerve you know but you keep right but then there's just storms and this I, I would suggest to you that the culture that we are living in may very well be and I'll explain this to you in a moment may very well be the most corrupt culture in history. In fact, I'm just going to step above that and I'm going to say we are living in the most evil times. Now you may not see it as that, but I'm going to tell you that it is. It's multiplied also simply because of the massive number of people. But the culture is evil. And in and, and telling you that, I know that sometimes you guys feel messed up about that. How many have received Jesus? Anybody received Christ? Okay, now here's the, here's the message. Okay, Jesus is the light of the world. Now, when I moved into the house that we live in right now, one of the things that I always wanted was a generator. Anybody have a generator? Okay, because sometimes all the connections get blown down. Remember that one time we had a storm, it was like every telephone pole, every utility pole was blown down. And so nobody had electricity. <laughs> but I had filled up my gas tank. <laughs> and I poured it into my generator. And I turned my generator on. And I ran some cables around. So my refrigerator was running. I had lamps that were shining. I had fans. Hallelujah. What I'm saying is, just because the world is hopeless doesn't mean you have to be hopeless. Because your hope is not contingent upon the hope of this world. Come on, I want your kids to get this. Your hope is not contingent upon the hope of this world. How many know Jesus is alive? Anybody know that? Okay, now I'm, I'm giving you all of this... And I'm going to throw you a curveball. Try to catch this if you can. In a world that is so filled with sin and brokenness, we cannot afford to give false hope. Whoa. I saw some of you doing that. Just kind of, what's he going to say now? Uh, I have a sense about being here, and I really hit me yesterday or a couple of days ago it really hit me extra I didn't even have this in fact I wrote it into my notes this morning because it just hit me the other day I was carrying some stuff out to the dumpster that had been filled because we were preparing some things for Easter down in the kids ministry and I'm walking back and I just looked up the house and I just looked at the place and I gave thanks to the Lord that he would allow me to be a steward um, there's a certain amount of responsibility of being the pastor did you know that? And uh, like if you came in one day and the electricity was off and there wasn't a storm, you'd be saying, <coughs> Pastor, we gave an offering last week. <laughs> right? Now, hear, what, hear what I'm saying. When I say I'm a steward of the house, I want to say I'm a steward of the house. Not just the building. That means sometimes I have to do things that are not comfortable. Does anybody understand my teaching right now? Anybody have a house? 
Anybody ever had to do things that were uncomfortable in order to take care of that house? Okay. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus. In Matthew 21 and 9, they shouted, Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth in Galilee. You're already toning it down. A moment ago, he was the son of David. And now, he's a prophet. Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple and drove all who were buying and selling there. He, he drove them out. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. This was, it had become a money-making project. It is written, he said, my house will not be called, my, excuse me, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it into a den of robbers. So I think, I think you think this is just about buying and selling. But can I give you another scripture? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. All right? He who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And then he says this. Flee from sexual immorality. What's that? Hmm, I don't know. What is that? I don't know, I'll let you come up. In fact, make your own definitions of what that is. That's what the culture does. I told you this was not going to be easy. Come on, hang with me. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, yeah. Whom, whom you, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Whose body is this? What? I thought it was yours. This is my body. I'll do what, it's my body. I'll do what I want. I know you will. And that I do what I want is indicative of the reality that I have denied the Spirit of God that would like to control my body. Come on, how many have failed? Come on, where am I? Come on, wave at me. Where are we? How, you know, I bet there's some people in this room that have actually failed in the <clears throat> sexual immorality category. Come on. Some people, I ain't lifting my hand right now. Come on, you look somewhere at some time. All right? So I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I don't care who you are. Most of us have been impacted. Preach, Pastor Rick. So this is sort of a clearing the temple message. How many believe that when Jesus comes into this temple, he wants to cleanse it? Or do you believe that grace is that message of Jesus coming in and saying, that's all right, I don't mind sitting in this mess. No, 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 no. He came into our life because you were not comfortable living the way you were anyway. This generation needs to know the truth. Here's part of that truth. First of all, you must understand, 2 Peter 3, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. It's just, the, it's just what it is, right? So this teaching, though, reminds me, first of all, I, I mentioned this last week, that Jesus is coming again. 30% of all Bible prophecies, Old Testament, New Testament, are about the return of the Lord. So when I see the story of the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem... And how he came in on a donkey, I am reminded, one day, he's going to retire that donkey. And come in conquering and to conquer. Somebody praise God. However, one of the most significant signs throughout the scripture of the return of the Lord is immorality. Again, I believe we're living in the most immoral season of the world. And part of it is, is a big part of it, it may be not in the eyes of the culture, but according to scripture... A part of it has to do with technology. Anybody agree technology is just really... It is just too easy to look at stuff these days. Right? I mean, and now you don't even have to do this. You just do this. Now, I want to approach this, but before I say anything else, I need to make a pastoral, congregational, qualifying statement. I'll put it up here. You ready? Whoever you are, you are loved. I love you. 
No matter how broken you are, I love you. No matter what, look at me, no matter what you have done, you are loved. We are glad that you're here. Look around and say, I'm glad you're here. Just tell somebody, glad you're here. And then look at whoever said that to you, look at him and say, well, he's not talking about me. All right? Let me keep going. We are not haters. We love people at Freedom. We love you so much, we'll tell you the truth. Come on. I love you no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, married, single, hetero, homosexual, adulterous, religious, whatever your mess is, I love you. Are you still in the house? But as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing more frustrating than being lied to. Anybody like that? Don't lie to me. Don't tell me I'm saved if I'm not. Boy, that just went over. That. Let me take that back, restate that. Second Peter 3 and 3 says, uses the word desires, which means longings or lust. Simply put, placing my longings, my attractions, my desires above God's plans. And what, 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 what's amazing is that we actually believe that God designed us so that we could live contrary to His Word. So much so that just having a conversation from the pulpit about morality, understanding that it is much more than just sexual issues, places everybody on edge. I hope he doesn't say anything that I did. A conversation about morality is especially difficult in a culture that has written its own Bible. Listen to me. We are in a culture that believes in universalism. Meaning that everyone can believe whatever they want to believe and it's okay. Is that the culture we're living in? And you hear concepts like this. Well, you can interpret the Bible however you want to. Well, you can interpret the Bible however you want to, but I'm going to have to interpret it by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to have to read what, it's, what it says. It's clear that there are those that believe that it is fine to believe in Jesus and not conform to the image of Christ. It's clear in our culture that you should all believe whatever is right for you. And you should be brave. And you should come out and tell everybody... Okay, anyway. Such belief is fracturing our culture and fracturing homes and fracturing families. And you ought to say amen right now. And so you know, while we were fighting over same-sex marriage, how many know that's been gone for a long time? Some people are still, oh, you got it, pastor, say something about same-sex marriage. Folks, it is a cultural thing that has happened. All right? No, it's not God's will. No, it's not God's plan. The word of God is clear that a husband is a man and a wife is a woman. This is not complicated. But while I'm saying that and you're still screaming and yelling, let me tell you, you probably have already lost what's really going on in the world. Have you heard of pansexuality or omnisexuality? Have you heard these common terms? Have you even heard of polysexual? Have you heard these terms? Because your children know them already. Please, Pastor, don't say any more. We're getting embarrassed. Basically meaning, no one has a right to tell me how I should love. I am attracted in this particular way, therefore I am this different way. Don't call me anything. Don't label me because I have the right to do sexually as I choose. And I get that. You're in the United States. So. <laughs> Polysexuality is total openness and fluidity of all people. Let's stop. Don't tell your son that he's a boy. And don't tell your daughter that she is a girl. And make sure that you raise them in such a way. Anybody hear what I'm saying right now? Some of you have heard it. How many have believed it? How many have heard and know people who believe it, right? Am I right? Okay, it's in the culture. Now, wait, wait. I'm going to give you a way out. Don't leave me hanging on this cliff, Pastor. So. Of course, this speaks to this reality. We actually believe that our attractions dictate our morality. 
That's where we are. This hit me really hard a couple of weeks ago. Just this idea that love is based upon what I'm attracted to. That's why most every person in this room has said, I love you to someone that they did not love, but they were attracted to. And because they felt attraction, they said love. Listen, 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 listen. Do not marry somebody just because you're attracted to them. Do not pursue someone just because you're attracted. Here's the concept. What God wants is covenant. Did you see those chords? I know that I'm already married to the most beautiful one in the world. I get that. But I want you to understand that the foundation of that is not how she dresses, what her hair looks like. It's that I am in this beautiful God-given covenant with her. So there ain't nobody in the house that can steal my gaze because I have a covenant with my eyes and a covenant with God and a covenant with my wife. So it doesn't matter what she looks like. It matters what rope I'm holding on to. But I'm attracted, but this is what I feel. I understand that. How many, how many have ever been lied to by your feelings before? Wave at me. Been lied to. Attraction is not love. Agape is love. Don't confuse the two. To give up our... We, 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 are, we are to love as Christ did and sacrifice as Christ did. To give up our desires for His best. To choose to obey God and not our sinful nature. To listen fully to the Spirit of God. To walk according to His Word. Not my internal desires. But when the Holy Spirit comes, how many know He will change your desires? So you know... People are not marrying others of the same sex because they have declared themselves homosexual or bisexual. No. It's much more than that now. We have passed it. I know individuals that are married to people of the same sex and it has nothing to do with whether or not they have ever determined that they were one or the other. It's that now it is my choice to marry whomever I choose. And that's what your children are now faced with. I am absolutely, I'm not, I'm not preaching out of school. I absolutely know that that's what your children are faced with now. That's what your children are faced with. And we cannot buy into it. Second, Peter 3 and 4. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffers. Jesus hasn't come yet. Jesus isn't going to come. Things are just going to continue as they always have, following their own evil desires. It is not difficult to look in the Bible. How many have a Bible? And understand what morality is. This generation wants and needs to know the truth, and no, and no one is telling them the truth. So I thought I would preach this morning and remind you, according to Luke's gospel, chapter 17, Jesus said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. And you know the scripture. People were marrying and eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage, just going on about life and, until the day Noah entered the ark, and then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. Two examples. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed all of them. So, I mean, we know these principles. But if you look deeper, you say, well, what do you mean? They were just eating and drinking? No, it's more than that. If you look in Genesis 5... God saw man's great wickedness on the earth and how great it had become that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord was grieved that he made man. How many know the story? Anybody know the story? It says, I'm grieved, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And in verse 11, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. And God saw how corrupt it was. God, and God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end all people for the earth is filled with violence now just just looking at this you understand the immorality but here's in looking at both of these situations how many know what happened to anybody ever heard of Noah's Ark okay it's more than just about animals okay we teach our children and the, God loves the animals they came in two by two but wiped out a million of them alright Noah's in an ark Building arky, arky, so wonderful. All right? But look at the parallels between the days of Noah and the end times. One, business as usual, refusal to listen to the truth. How many know Noah was a preacher of righteousness? 
And thirdly, cataclysmic judgment. Does anybody believe that cataclysmic judgment could fall upon the earth? Okay. But I like this last one, rescue of the righteous. How many raindrops fell on Noah's head? Zero. How much fire singed Lot and zero? None of them. Why? Because God knows how to rescue the righteous. Folks, there'll be cataclysmic judgment, but I'm not going to be here. Everybody say, where'd Ricky Jean go? He left. Because there's this thing called the catching away. Somebody thank God for the catching away of the saints. This catching away of the saints. And I need my, come on. I want to know that I know Jesus. I don't want this casual, buddy, butter affair with Jesus. No, no. I want to know that I know Jesus. I want his spirit living inside of me. We are desperate for the hope of Jesus. That's what I love about these kids in Matthew 21. As they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. They were so hopeful. They had heard about Jesus and they believed it. And they saw him. They started chanting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. How many know we need hope in our generation? Anybody know that? No, no, listen, listen, listen. When I tell you that, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry says, Suicide is the second leading cause of death for children, adolescents, young adults, ages 5 to 24 years old. 5 to 24 years old. The second leading cause of death is suicide. Why? Hopelessness. Now, I know there are other reasons, there are other things. I'm not trying to be your psychiatrist right now. I'm just saying... This generation has massive feelings of hopelessness because we don't give them answers. We just give them permission. And I know there are reasons such as sickness and mental illness. I know that's prevalent. But listen, listen, let's get real. Often it comes from their predecessors. I believe it can be generational. I think they get confused about who we are. They have parents that are inconsistent, spiritually dead, and carnal, and go to church on Sunday, but don't talk about Jesus any other day of the week. They want to hear the truth. They want to know from your lips that Jesus is alive and that he will save them. They want your hands laid upon them so that they can be filled with the Spirit of God. They need spiritual leadership. They need moral boundaries. A generation that is hopeful will echo the message of the gospel to a broken and confused generation. I know you're hopeless, but let me tell you about the hope of the world. He is Jesus who gave his life for us. We should be hopeful. Somebody shout, be hopeful. Shout it. We need a generation that will go public with the message of Jesus. Can I tell you the message as, we, as I wrap this thing up? Can I tell you the message of Jesus? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, wait, wait, wait. I have given such a message that some of you feel hopeless, so let me help you. What do I do now? God didn't. And, and some read that and we just stop right there. God didn't send the world. Hey, pastor, you're making me feel condemned. So, bad pastor. Now listen, listen. God didn't send me to condemn you. He sent me to rescue you. So how can we rescue one another? It's what they said in Acts 2, where we're, all, of our, all in Scripture is. Peter said they were cut to the heart when he told them about the cross and told them who Jesus was. And Peter replied, he said, repent. Everybody shout, repent. Amen. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What do I need in my temple? What do I need in the temple? Holy Spirit. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You, the Holy Spirit, the promise is for you and your children for all who are far off. What? My children, the promise. What promise? Promise of lots of money. The promise of the Spirit. It's for you and your children. How many know that Jesus would like to come and throw the money changers out of your house and fill your house with the Spirit of God? Your temple. Paul keeps preaching. I mean, it's all through the New Testament. In Acts, 
Paul's talking to Agrippa and says, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea and the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. How do I know you repented? Because I said I was sorry. (laughs) But your life hasn't changed. Didn't repent. You're just irritated. Repentance is a change of direction. How do we do that? John, 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, everybody say confess. confess. Just say, let's just practice. Say, I'm a sinner, whether you are or not. Just say, I'm a sinner. Just say, I'm a sinner. Wow. That's good. Some of you, when you say that, you're going to have to just use that as a, a topic because it's going to be tough to give all of the individuals. But how many know when you sin, you should confess exactly what it is? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. It's not a sin. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It was a mistake. Yeah, but you chose to make that mistake. Sin. You're going to be miserable and hopeless until you confess it. I'll give you a few more scriptures. I love Romans 5. Therefore... Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Somebody thank God for grace. Okay, I don't know what you did, but I know what Jesus did. I know what Jesus did. Somebody thank God. Grace is no matter who you are and what you've done, He loves you. Grace is favor even though your history says don't give them anything. You know what they do. Throw them in jail. That's mercy. God doesn't punish you for what you did in the past when you receive His grace and His Spirit. God demonstrates His love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Christ died for you. He loved you before you loved Him. Okay, but then... Some people believe this. I'm saved by grace, therefore what I do doesn't matter. Right? Romans chapter 6. Just keep reading Romans. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. That's what baptism is. We died to sin. Baptism is a graveyard. It's what it is. No, it's water and it's fun. It's clean. It's a graveyard. As Christ went into the ground, so we go under the water. And then we arise again as newborn babes in the newness of life. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death will we certainly also be united with him in his resurrection? For we know that our old self, you should read this with me, our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. All right, everybody stand up with me. Woo, go ahead. You got through that. Okay, just, there's been more sweating in this sermon than I've seen in years, okay? Okay. Uh, I'm going to walk with you through this as I close. I mean, I know you just want to get out right now. I just Get me to my car. I need to turn on a good radio station. So I can listen to some... Anyway, I have some thoughts here. I'm just going to leave that alone. Caleb would be a good choice. How many believe in healing? Anybody believe in healing? John, James chapter 5 reads this way. This is just living as the family of God. This is what we're supposed to be doing. This is how we do this, okay? Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Anybody in trouble right now? Just trouble. Just got trouble going on. You should, you should pray. You should pray. Take all that to the Lord. Has anybody just been, had some deliverance in your life and God has just been so good and you just want to celebrate right now? Go ahead and shout, bless the Lord. Go ahead, bless the Lord. Lord. 
Okay, let me go back. Anybody in trouble? You should pray. Anybody happy? You ought to. You should celebrate. You should sing. You should. God said He set me free. Oh, He said you should. Is any one of you sick? Anybody sick? You should call for the elders of the church to pray and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. And he throws in this other topic here as well. And if he has committed sin, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, here's something that happens. This ought to happen regularly. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. How many believe in healing? How many believe in confessing sins? I think if you took an honest account, it'd be like everybody say, yeah, I believe in healing. I believe in confessing sins. Eh, I don't know. Right? Like if somebody needed healing and we brought them up front and said, you need healing? Yeah, I need healing. Bad. Okay. You got any sin in your life? I said I needed healing. Right? But he's saying, therefore, because of all of this, understanding all of this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So you're going to be healed. How many have needed healing in your mind before? How many have healed in your heart before? In your mind, in your, in your, your mind, your will, your emotions. How many have needed that? Confess your sins so you can be healed. And we're going to pray because the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. So if you're in trouble, you should pray. But the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Listen, listen. Some people say, well, God's going to set me free. And I'm going to say, yeah, God's going to set you free. But even though God is going to set you free, it would be a good start for you just to confess your sins. God's not going to set you free of something that you're holding on to. You're going to have to let go of it. Praise God. All right. Uh, I preached so much today. I preached so much today about issues of purity. And I wanted to do two things. In a minute, I'm going to have people come up for prayer. But first of all, I want us to get purity as a part of our lives again. How many believe that? How many believe that your children ought to be pure? Anybody believe that? And those of you, I don't know what you have done in your life. I don't know everybody's past. That's not what I'm into. You're, you have to work that out with you and the Lord. But, but I believe that we ought to ask for fresh cleansing in the church. We need our, come on, anybody ever need your carpet clean, cause all the mess? Sometimes you need your mind and your heart and you need fresh covenant. Are you ready to pray this with me? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I come before you in Jesus' name. I request that you cleanse me of anything that breaks your heart. Purify my mind, my body, my soul. Help me to seek righteousness above all else and not stray into the temptations of the world. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want my uh, prayer ministry, I want prayer ministry to come and be ready to, as we... You ready? Anybody, anybody uh, set free? You want to rejoice? Anybody happy? Somebody praise God. Praise God. See, do that. Do that. All right, wait, wait. Keep doing that. Anybody in trouble? I want to pray for you. Is there anybody in trouble? I want to pray for you. All right? Anybody in trouble? I want to pray for you. Anybody in trouble? In trouble, I want to pray. Anybody in trouble? I want to pray for you. Come on. Anybody that's in trouble, whatever the trouble is. All right? Anybody got con some confession that they ought to do? You say, I'll, I'll keep my confession between me and Jesus. That's good, but that's not what I just read a minute ago. Confessing to others. How many believe that is a good thing? All right? So if there's confession, anybody need to change? How many need some things changed in your lifestyle? Anybody need some things changed? Right? Okay. We're going to pray. Wait, anybody happy? Anybody happy? Sing. Rejoice. Okay. Anybody in trouble? Come on up front. Keep singing. Anybody happy? Anybody in trouble? Come and pray. Anybody need to confess? Anybody need healing? Come on down. We'll pray for healing. Anybody happy? Keep it going. No, go ahead. Anybody happy? I don't have enough happy people in the house. 
Anybody need to confess? Anybody need help? Come on, we'll pray for you. Come on, we got a lot of things to do here. I need more altar workers, more of my altar team come up and help me. Come on, brother. Now I want you to lay your hands all around the room. Pray for somebody right now. If you're new to freedom, we'll be dismissing in a moment. And our desire is that anybody that's new would come and meet us. Uh, come to the Welcome Center. We'd love to see you there. And then come on into my office for a few moments. We want to pray for these that are in the altar, though. My, my prayer team is going to spend some time and minister to all of these folks. But I want all of us, let's give thanks to the Lord for His Word today. Let's give Him thanks. Lord, we give You thanks. We praise You. Now, Lord, let Your Word settle in our heart. And I pray the peace of Christ, that the Lord would bless you, that the Lord would keep you, that the Lord would make His face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, and the Lord would give you peace. Father, we thank you for that which you've taught us. Now we're going to walk in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're going to take it to the next generation and pour hope into them. And we are going to bring hopelessness out of them so that we will all be ready for your glorious return. We bless in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pray one for another. Go ahead and pray for one another. Be dismissed when you choose. God bless you all.